Good morning. So good again to be together on this Lord's Day morning. We're in the middle of our, our fact event. Had a, had a great day uh, yesterday. I won't introduce the theme for the sixth time today. We'll just keep rolling through it. So I want to start with uh, a playlist, and young people, uh, bear with me here. This is a playlist of old, old songs. And we used to make mixtapes out of playlists, and then we made mixed CDs, and then now you make Spotify lists or whatever. But I want to talk about a few songs that talk about life. Life is actually hard for everybody. It's hard for kids, hard for middle-aged people, it's hard for Singles in their 20s, it's hard for newlyweds, it's hard for old people, it's hard for uh, newly retired people, it's hard for people in a a nursing home somewhere. It doesn't mean that life doesn't have good things, but it's helpful to acknowledge that everywhere you look, there are troubles. I remember when I was a kid... There was, back before Will Smith was an actor, back before he was the genie in Aladdin or somebody that slapped somebody in an award show or something, he was a rapper. This was before he was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He was just the Fresh Prince back then. I was like eight years old, and I thought it was neat at that time that there was a song telling kids, parents just don't understand. Parents don't understand What you're going through, kids. Actually, they do. (laughs) Sometimes we forget, to be honest. Sometimes we forget that, yeah, we have troubles, but kids have troubles too. That it's hard. That it's scary at night going to bed sometimes. That there's a lot of waiting and you don't have a good sense of time as a kid sometimes. And it just feels like you're always waiting for your birthday, for... The next time you're going to get to see your friends for whatever the next thing is. Like that, that some of the social situations you get in, some of the, the problems with friends can be really disheartening or you get your heart set on things. And, and then sometimes there's real stress and real tragedy and real difficulty that comes in that affects kids too. But parents have challenges too. My favorite movie is Casablanca. And uh, Sam, that's Sam, he plays as in Play It Again, Sam. Sam sings this song. And maybe we could, just to get everybody awake, we could do this together. He says the first part, and then the part in parentheses, everybody around him says. So I'm going to do Sam's part, and then let's all say together the part in parentheses. Who's got trouble? We got trouble. How much trouble? Too much trouble. Ain't that that true sometimes? We got problems. All of us do. There was a song back in the 90s when I was maybe high school or college age uh, by R.E.M. And it's just this video that was really, really meaningful to me at the time. All of these people in bumper-to-bumper traffic, traffic jam probably in L.A. somewhere on a freeway, And it just shows all these different pictures of people and what they might be thinking. 
There's a man, looks like a truck driver. All it says is 17 years. You don't know what he's thinking, but something, 17 years. There's a, a picture of a man who's trying to figure out why God hasn't answered the prayer that he's been asking. There's this woman who says, there's nothing I can do. Little kid thinking you die and you turn to dust. Thinking about mortality already at a young age. This woman says, nobody can see me. And the song says, when the days are long and the nights are yours alone. You're just sitting by yourself, just processing, just thinking alone about all of this. Hold on. Everybody hurts. Everybody cries sometimes. Our memory verse might not seem to go with this theme, but I think you'll see that it does. Our memory verse is is that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. We want to be like Jesus, and he's training us how to do that. And did you know that Jesus hurts too? Um, There's a song that my dad used to love. Uh, It would get us both choked up because you know how it is when your dad gets choked up. You know, strong men don't cry very often. And when he gets choked up, then I start getting choked up. And the song is, does Jesus care? Does Jesus care? When I'm alone, does Jesus care when I'm carrying a burden that, that no one else knows about? And the, the refrain is, oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. We studied yesterday, all the, all the classes, in fact, studied about the story of Lazarus. And there's this short Memory verse. This short verse, not our memory verse, but it's easy to memorize. It's my favorite memory verse to remember because it's so easy as a kid. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus wept for his friends. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus, you know? But he looked around at Mary and Martha mourning. He looked around, I think more broadly maybe, at the tragedy of death. At the grip that death has on people all over. And he cried. He broke down and he cried. Hard to think about Jesus crying. He cried... In Luke 19.41, not just for his friends, but in a way you could say for his enemies. As he wept over Jerusalem, as he mourned, the city of God and its people were not receiving God's blessings. In Hebrews 5.7, the Hebrew writer says that, that Jesus wept bitterly in the garden. He wept bitterly as he thought about what he was about to do the next day. Tonight we're going to 
have one of those um, nights with the Bible stories where we invite the kids to sit up front. That'll be the conclusion to fact. And we're going to look at three stories, one about obedience, one about love, and one about service, like we've been looking at. But three stories that all happen in Jesus' last 24 hours. And you think about that night in Gethsemane. Him alone, his friends are sleeping. You think about him in his body physically changing, his body becoming overwhelmed with the tax of the stress of what's about to happen. A few verses before that, in Hebrews 4.15, Jesus says, or the Hebrew writer says of Jesus, that he can sympathize with our weakness. All the things that make us weak, because he's gone through everything that we go through. We have a saying in our house, I don't like how emotions make me feel. (laughs) Anybody relate to that? I just don't like it. Even, even happiness can sometimes be too much. I just want everything to be okay, you know, just like even. I don't like how emotions make me feel, especially those dark, difficult ones. I don't like how that makes me feel. Everybody goes through these things. Jesus went through these things. And if we look at how Jesus went through these things, we can learn how we can navigate all the difficulties, all the storms of life. We can calm the storm, or perhaps more appropriately, let, let the Lord calm the storm. We can walk through the storm whenever there is no calm. It's just chaos. I love that passage in Isaiah that says, Though you walk through the waters, I will be with you. Though you walk through the fire, the waters will not overwhelm you, the fire will not burn you. I will be with you. Speaking metaphorically, of course, figuratively, about when we go through trouble, we will go through trouble, but God will be with us and he will help us. We have to learn from our Lord how to navigate these difficulties. So this morning, all of our classes looked at the day that Jesus fed the 5,000. Matthew chapter 14. It's also in Mark 6. It's in John 6. It's in, in all of the Gospels, actually, But it helps to step back. The story stands alone. There's a lot there. But it helps to step back and look at the rest of the context of what is happening to Jesus that day. It seems to me that the gospel writers, as we read what the inspired Apostle Matthew is writing in Matthew 14, or what Mark is writing want us to get a window into the heart of Jesus, who he is, so that we can follow him, so that we admire him, that we love him, so that we see what humanity looks like when it's right, at its best. And it doesn't look like sitting in a monastery with perfect serenity at every moment. You might think that, right? You might think that, the perfect situation for humanity would be absolute perfect like bliss at every moment. Someday we'll have joy beyond measure. But this life, when it's lived at its very best, is full of ups and downs. 
And we navigate those ups and downs either in the best way or we can get swept up and swallowed up by the storm. Here's a song I think of sometimes that just plays in my mind. You had a bad day. (laughs) I don't remember even the rest of the lyrics, but man, man, I can hear it. You had a bad day. Haven't you had bad days? Our kids have had bad days. Sometimes, the other day, Anna told me the reason she was so upset about a day, something that happened, I'm laughing uh, because it's, I can relate to it, was that it was an almost perfect day. And then her siblings ruined the end of it. It could have been so great, right? It could have been perfect. And then sometimes our kids have rough days with their friends, with life, with things, bad things that happen. Sometimes we all have rough days. This isn't Jesus' roughest day. We read about that. We'll talk about that tonight. We read about that at the end of all of the Gospels. This is a pretty rough one. If you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, this is where we were studying this morning about the multitudes. And you can even go a few verses before and just notice what was happening right before chapter 14 starts. We read at the end of chapter 13 that all of the people in his hometown, the people he grew up with, his, you got to think, his best friends from childhood, right? His aunts and uncles and cousins, all the people that know him best, that he sat in synagogue with each Saturday, all reject him. And they can't believe it. And he can't even, he doesn't even do any signs. says, and they took offense at him. Scandalon, they they tripped up. It was like a a trap that tripped them. They, They were offended. By him, They stumbled because of him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And then we read in chapter 14, the first part of it, verses 1 down to verse 12, the story of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. One of the few people that maybe Jesus could feel, this is a partner that understands at least some part of what I'm here to do. The one that as Jesus was beginning his ministry, announced him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is a person who was close to Jesus, that Jesus loved and respected very much. And we read about how he was, for the worst possible reason, beheaded and his head put on a platter. And Jesus gets news of this at the beginning of of the account in verse 13 of the, the multitude. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat. Jesus had this experience. You know, you think of times when you can't find any time to think with all the demands on you. Jesus can relate to that. Think of times when everyone wants your time and attention. Jesus can relate to that. Times when no sooner do you make a plan than it gets thwarted. You need to get away from the chaos to grieve a loved one and collect yourself. 
This is the kind of day that Jesus had in Matthew 14. So here's the timeline of this day in his life. Early in the day, he's told that a loved one and fellow worker has been killed. The 12 return from their preaching trip, excited to report to Jesus. So they want his attention. They, they have so much. They're full of joy. Everybody around you is, is full of excitement. Not that they can't sympathize with what's happening with, with John. But man, this is a big deal. They're back. Jesus, i got to tell you about all these things. Have you ever had 17 people in your ear? Or at least 12 people in your ear? Whenever you're just trying to grieve. And Jesus and the disciples are trying to just have a quiet meal together, try to have some time together, and they're unable to eat because of the needs of the crowd. At dinner time, Jesus feeds 5,000 men and their family. People are amazed at the miracle. And what do they decide to do? Did they get the lesson? Did they get the point? No, they want to make him a political king. And so he has to get that under control before he can move on. And so he wraps that up and he gets away again and he sends the disciples across the sea. And there's this urgency in the way Mark and Matthew tell this story. He, he commands them to move on. There's this immediacy. He's trying to get control of the situation. And then that night, the crowds head home, and Jesus spends the night praying. Which is what he wanted to do all along. (laughs) He's able to find that space eventually, not, not immediately. And he spends that time with God. Meanwhile, the disciples row their boat through a raging storm. And Jesus walks across the sea, crossing paths with them sometime after 3 a.m. A long day. Some days are long because of the hours, and this was that. Some days are even longer because of the events that happen in those, event, in, in those days. And this was one of those days, too. And then guess what? You know how it goes. The next day, you start all over again. And he gets to the other side, been traveling, he's been praying, he's been up all night, gets to the other side, and crowds meet him there. And start the the whole work again. It's a tireless job. There's a a song um, that we sometimes sing uh, oh God, you are my God. Sometimes, uh, sometimes by step it's called, Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. The, the verse, first verse to that is an interesting one. We don't usually sing it. It's from Jesus' perspective. It says, Sometimes the night was beautiful. Sometimes the sky was so far away. Sometimes it seemed to come so close you could touch it, but your heart would break. Sometimes the day would come too soon. Sometimes the work was so hard. There was so much work left to do, but so much you'd already done. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. 
O Lord, you are my Lord. And I will sing of you in the morning. And I will learn to walk in your ways. Think of Jesus and the work that he did every day. And what he did in a body that was tossed around by the same kind of crazy chemical influx that we have, right? The same kind of emotions and hormones and physiology and, and heart that we have. And he did so much, and he did it all the right way. So how does he do it? I think there's two key verses here They're in, all, in Matthew and Mark, but let's look at the Mark ones. Mark chapter 6, verse 34 says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. He saw this crowd and he thought, They are so lost. They are so in need of some help, of somebody. They don't even know what they need. Like a sheep doesn't know where to get food. And so he starts to teach them, and he heals them, and ultimately he feeds them. And the second key verse says, And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. In between, there's a lot that happens throughout this day. But in those two key verses, I think we can learn a whole lot. I want to pull out four different, uh, four different corners that we can turn. You know, sometimes what we need is we're, we're stuck in going a particular direction, and all we see is what is right in front of us. But what we really need to do is just turn the corner and see everything as it is, but with a different perspective, now looking this other way. So four corners for us to turn to help us see things like Jesus saw things in an everyday, real situation, kind of like we do, only just turned up to 11. Look at the decisions he makes. He says, let's get away. And then they boat to a desolate place. And the crowds figure where they're going to go and beat them there. And Jesus teaches and feeds them. And the crowd wants to make him king. And they make the, he makes the disciples leave and dismisses the crowd. And then he goes on a mountain to pray by himself. If we look at this, these steps, in the, there's what happens to Jesus. And then in the squares, there's what Jesus does with what happens to him. Jesus isn't controlling everything that happens, but he changes the situation by how he handles it, by what he does. So I also want to give four quotes that I think everybody can relate to. I've heard my kids say some of these things. As we think about thwarted plans, you know, you make the best plans. You, you know exactly what needs to happen my wife is, is a planner, and she has a plan in mind for every possible situation. She had our kids climb, the other day climb into the back trunk of our car to show them if they were ever somehow stuck in there, how to pop it open. 
she has thought through with me what happens if if a car if, if the car goes into water how do you get out you know you see that happen in movies i don't know how it happens really a plan for everything i try to plan out things to avoid bad situations and make things work but sometimes you look around at your plans and you say It never goes right. Why isn't it working? Why aren't things going the way I planned for it to go? You know, a sillier example, when, I'm, <laughs> when you have to fix something at home, you watch a YouTube video for it now, right? Or on a car, you watch a YouTube video. But you know, it's never going to work like that YouTube video does. The screw you need is always, you know, too big. The, the car is a different model. It never works out right. Whenever Evie's trying to buckle her, her, uh, her car seat, it never works. It's always a problem. And Jesus had a plan. Isn't that funny? Jesus had a plan to get away to a desolate place, and his plans were interrupted. But what Jesus saw in that was an open door. See, we can just see, this is what I wanted, and grip it so tight that we're just frustrated all day long. That's all we see. Or we can turn the corner and see Okay, things have changed. What are the needs of this moment? What are the opportunities that I now see before me that I didn't have before? We would have never had the story of the feeding of the 5,000 if Jesus wasn't interrupted by this crowd chasing him everywhere he went, even in the middle of the desert where nobody was. There wouldn't have been this lesson for us. These people wouldn't have had their healing and their, their teaching and their, their f- being fed in this miraculous, wondrous way. What open doors could you see if you looked at the things that are frustrating you most? If you looked at the things that are disappointing you most? If you looked at a plan that you had that you thought, it's got to go this way, and it went a different way and said, Maybe there's an opportunity here. Maybe the Lord is giving me an open door to serve in a different way. That's how Jesus handled this. You see how if we follow the master, we can learn something about how to deal with life's frustrations and difficulties. Second thing Jesus was chased by all over the place is needy people. Our kids really aren't supposed to say this, but I've heard it. Speaking to their siblings, leave me alone. I just want a moment. Everybody wants a piece of me. Everybody's got something. This is mom life in a nutshell, right? (laughs) 
This is middle management life in a nutshell, right? Everybody needs something. The boss above me, the four direct reports, the client, the everything. Jesus had needy people around him. In fact, that's the only kind of people there are. (laughs) And Jesus could see those needs clearer than any of us. And instead of getting drained, frustrated, or embittered by it, what he looked at is instead of needy people, he looked at people's needs. Just a simple little switch. Instead of defining this person as somebody that is helpless and um, pulling on your on your coat, trying to get your attention all the time, instead of seeing this person as a needy person, I focus on the needs that those people have. I have needs. You have needs. We all have things that we need. And so Jesus looked at those needs. And he told his disciples, you meet those needs. You go and serve them. You go and bless them. Here's another one. (laughs) You ever heard a kid say this? It's taking forever! Kids used to say, it's taking four hours. And I never knew if it was four hours or it's taking four hours. Nadia says this thing now. It's a little bit better. She says, I'm waiting very patiently. (laughs) And sometimes it seems like progress is so slow. You're just inching ahead constantly. And it's three steps forward and it's two steps back. And it's, I was working on that project and then they got in there and messed it all up. You know, everything in this world, on this side of that last day, is a work in progress. This church is a work in progress. You are a work in progress. Your kids are a work in progress. And so what did Jesus do? He progressed slowly. We're always in a hurry. We're always trying. It needs to be right now. I need it done yesterday. But some things just take the time they take. Ecclesiastes 3 teaches us the great principle of seasons. That everything has a time, and it's playing out in its time. And we do our part, and we nudge things forward. Jesus was always attentive to the person or the situation right in front of him. Whatever time that took. I'm not like that. Too often... I'm divided into five different places. I'm thinking about three things I need to get done while, you know, somebody's trying to talk to me. And I have to allow myself to slow down and to attend to that person, listen to what they say, attend to the project I'm working on and focus on that, attend to whatever it is time for right now as I serve God. 
think I've brought up before my favorite scene from the old show. Talk about oldies. The old show Taxi. There's this scene where Christopher Lloyd is taking a driver's test. And he's, he's trying to do the exam. And he whispers over, what does a yellow light mean? And the guy says, slow down. He says, what does a yellow light mean? Slow down. He actually does it like four times in the scene. But that always sticks in my head whenever I realize that I'm spinning out of control. There were a few moments like that, I'll be honest, this weekend with everything going on and everything to juggle. Maybe you had some of those moments. And I have to settle in and remember, what does a yellow light mean? Let every one of you be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen. Sometimes it takes time to progress. All of our goals we have as a church are going to take time as we keep moving forward. And we're never going to achieve a perfect vision to be the ideal perfect church until the end. But we're going to keep moving forward and God is going to keep working with us something I appreciate about this place. Looking honestly at ourselves and working hard to keep moving forward. Partnering with the one who gives us the grace and the wisdom and the strength and the clarity to make the right changes and to do the work. And finally, might say, Can I get a break? I just want a break. When you find yourself saying, I just want anything, it should be a, an alert, an alarm. I just want to have my coffee for a minute before this whole thing starts. You know, I just want to get upstairs away from everybody. I just want to get this one project done. I just need a break. And we do need breaks. But sometimes we don't realize what the real breaks are. You know, we say rest and recreation. What rest is, rest is an important idea in the Bible. It's about being under the ordered leadership of God. That's what, if you do a study of what rest is, under the ordered leadership of God, the, the people of Israel found rest in Canaan. They had these blessings and this fruitfulness and this order that came upon them. Recreation has in it this word recreation. What recreates you? What nourishes you? What lifts you up? It's probably not 20 minutes of Candy Crush sitting in the corner. You know, it's probably not checking Facebook for the sixth time. Here's what, what Jesus saw that prayer is rest, that being in the presence of the Father. gives us a sense of God's ordered control, lets us take our anxieties 
and cast them on him. Let's us, while we're working even, whatever we're doing, let's us find peace in him. Let us, let's us be recreated. We are being renewed day by day, Paul says. Augustine said, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, Lord. Are you restless? Find rest in Jesus. Find rest in God and in his presence. That's how Jesus did the amazing things he did. He was an amazing person that knew who he was, knew this relationship he had with the Father. He came into the world in the flesh, and yet he was constantly renewed in spirit. At the end of this story, we find, and this is a whole other lesson, but we find this idea of getting out of the boat and trusting and following Jesus. Jesus, Jesus calms the storm. Matthew also tells us the story of Jesus walking on water, of Jesus saying to them as he comes to the disciples in the midst of the storm, take heart, find courage, whatever the storm is. Jesus said, I am. Ego me. Take heart. Sometimes it's just translated, I'm here. Or sometimes it's translated, it's me. It is I. Ego me means I am. Take heart because the one in the boat with you is the great I am, is Jesus. And because he is here with us, there is something to be done about whatever situation we're in. There is one we can turn to that can help and heal. There is one that sees us and knows us better than we know ourselves. There is one who has the power over even death itself who can save us. We have to get out of the boat and trust him and follow him. So we have this theme song we've been singing throughout the weekend. And it's about a decision. We don't just get hitched to that train and and get pulled along. We have to decide to be on that track again and again. I have decided to follow Jesus. If nobody else goes with me, I'm going to follow him still. I'm not going to turn back. I'm going to stick with him. And I'm going to follow Jesus. We're going to sing this song in a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus, let it be a declaration again of your commitment to the one who has saved you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, let it be a moment for you to come forward, to confess Jesus as your Lord, to be baptized into him, and to begin following him today. Please come while we stand and sing.